time to go into the Word of God, isn't it? All right, come with me please to the little book of James, Hebrews James, and uh, we'll just read this one verse for the moment together. So James chapter 3. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. But the wisdom that is from above. Some years ago, I was talking with the late David Greeno. We were in conversation about the book of Proverbs. And in that conversation, he said uh, the book of Proverbs was heaven sent wisdom for down to earth living. And I immediately thought that would be a wonderful title for the book of Proverbs heaven sent wisdom for down to earth living. I don't know whether he, where he got it from, whether he himself thought that up or whether he read it somewhere or heard it, but it always stuck in my memory. And this past week when I was meditating and praying and reading in the book of James and thinking about how practical the book of James is, that it's so practical that many times people call it the Proverbs of the New Testament. And For that reason, I'm going to borrow David's phrase and entitle this short series of messages on the book of James, Heaven Sent Wisdom for Down-to-Earth Living. And what I propose to do is is to dip into the book here and there. I, I don't think I'm going to be going through it verse by verse. I normally usually do that, but in this instance, I don't think that I will do that. But dip into it here and there and get some of those gems, some of those gems of wisdom that James uh, wrote in his little five-chapter book. Let us begin this morning by asking the question, first of all, who is this particular James? Because James as a name is quite common in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus himself uh, had two Jameses Uh, within his uh, disciples. There was James, who was the brother of John, the fisherman. And of course, then there was James, the son of Alphaeus. And uh, on top of that, Judas was quite a popular name. And so apart from Judas Iscariot, who was one of his disciples, there was another Judas. And uh, this other Judas' father was called James. This other Judas sometimes was called Thaddeus Libius. Uh, And so, therefore, James was quite a popular name. However, this James, the author of this particular epistle, was, in fact, the brother of Jesus. And to be more precise, to be more accurate, he was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, Jesus had had four brothers and at least two sisters, possibly more, but at least two sisters. The scriptures tell us this. If you look at Mark chapter uh, 6, just for a moment. Uh, 
Then he went out from there and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, or Joseph, that is, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters... Plural, are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended uh, at him. And, and also in Matthew chapter 13, 55 and 56, uh, much the same, uh, telling us that he had brothers and that he had sisters. Now, the apostle Paul in Galatians 1.19, Paul calls him James the Lord's brother. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, in wishing to maintain their teaching of the perpetual virginity of Mary, uh, they say that these brothers and sisters were not half-brothers and sisters, but step-brothers and sisters, that they were the children of Joseph to a previous marriage. Now, we know that there is absolutely no historical or scriptural record of that whatsoever. It is simply a tradition of men. Uh, also, some say that uh, these brothers and sisters were in actual fact cousins of Jesus. But again, this is just mere conjecture without any historical or biblical evidence whatsoever. So you can completely ignore that. In fact, if you were to read, you don't have to, but if you were to read Matthew 1.25 and Luke 2 verse 7 regarding the record of the advent of Christ, you would see that it says, and she brought forth her firstborn son, which would strongly, of course, imply if there's a firstborn, then there's a secondborn, or maybe a thirdborn or a fourthborn. And, uh, and so we need to understand who we're talking about here. Now, we also have to say then that this James was never one of the Lord's apostles, even though he is one of the Lord's brothers, but he wasn't one of the twelve. In fact, he did not even believe that Jesus was the Son of God, or even that he was the Messiah of Israel until after Christ's resurrection. However, after his conversion, he became a very prominent and important leader in the church at Jerusalem, which was the, like the mother church, the head church, which was at Jerusalem. And we have evidence of this in Acts chapter 12, where it tells that wonderful story of how Peter was supernaturally released from prison by an angel. You remember he went to the house of John Mark, uh, where they were praying for his <laughs> release, and how when he, when he got there, they didn't believe him, but when he finally got in through the door and hushed them all, they were creating such a noise, he says, be quiet, and he told them what happened. He says, now, report this to James and to the brethren uh, at headquarters, as it were, at the mother church. And so we know that James, by this time, was one of the, if not the, early church leader. And then in Galatians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it also tells us there how the apostle Paul, after three years after his conversion, how that he went to Jerusalem. And again, he went to uh, the leaders of the church at Jerusalem and uh, shared his heart there. And uh, of course, that's where he calls James the Lord's brother. And then in Galatians chapter 2, we see also that after 14 years, Paul goes back again 
uh, to Jerusalem, <clears throat> to the headquarters of the church at that time, as it were, <clears throat> because in Acts 15, there's a big row going on in the church at Antioch. Now, we mentioned that briefly a few weeks ago in another message, in another context, but there was a row going on because uh, lots of Gentiles were becoming believers, but the Hebrew believers uh, many of the Hebrew believers says, but to be a true believer, you have to obey the law of Moses, including circumcision. And of course, Paul was not on for that at all. He didn't want them to come under that law again. They'd been released from the law. And so there was a bit of a riot on, uh, and Paul and Barnabas, they went to the headquarters at Jerusalem, and there was a conference held with all the leaders, and James, it would seem to be, was the primary leader. He was the convener of it, and he listened to all the arguments for and against this about the, the, whether they should be circumcised and all the rest of it, and then he concluded. He made the final decision, and they all obeyed that, and a letter was written to the church, uh, what they were allowed to do and what they weren't allowed to do. And so I'm telling you all that to show you here how that uh, at this particular time, uh, James was a very prominent leader in the church. In Acts 1, 21, 17, uh, Paul reports to James about his third missionary journey. And so all of this shows us that James, the Lord's brother, was a highly respected uh, man of God, uh, leader of the church at Jerusalem. You might even say the senior pastor, if you want to use those everyday terms today. And he was extremely respected by Peter and Paul and Barnabas uh, and all the rest. But here's the thing. For 30 years, for three decades, all the time Jesus was alive, neither James, his brothers, or his sisters believed for one second that Jesus was who he said he was. They just did not believe it that he wasn't the Son of God, that he wasn't the Messiah of Israel, that he wasn't the Christ, the Anointed One. Imagine Jesus growing up as the elder brother with all his siblings below him. And in all that time, not one of them for one moment believed that he was who he knew to be, whom his mother knew to be, but they would not accept that. That must have been difficult. James, of course, as Jesus' younger brother, he was next in line, probably would have worn Jesus' hand-me-down clothes because as a family they were quite poor. Probably when they went to school, Jesus probably would have held his hand because he was the younger brother. Certainly would go to the synagogue together. And absolutely for sure, that time when once a year they would go to Jerusalem to celebrate the great feast of Passover. You remember how that when they were there and when they left after the feast, how that Jesus stayed behind and talked to the doctors and lawyers of the law and the temple and how that his parents and his family took off and after they realized he was missing. They came back and took him three days to find him. Now, James must have been there. And he must have heard the conversations about that. Why did you do that? Well, it must be about my father's business. Well, hold on a minute. Is Joseph not her dad? I mean, all this stuff was going on at that particular time. And then, of course, as an adult, 
especially when Jesus, at 30 years old, launched his public ministry. And not only was he, his name known around the local area, it was known throughout the whole land. He became a household name very, very quickly. Multitudes began to follow him. And James must have seen, or at the very least, got the reports of the mighty miracles that was taking place through Jesus. And the tremendous teachings that he gave, <clears throat> so much so that people actually, a multitude of people stayed with him for three days. They, they didn't eat anything, nothing to eat, and yet they listened for three days to Jesus preaching and teaching. And James growing up and seeing that and hearing that, and yet for all of that, he did not believe. And he would not believe. And neither Jesus' power, neither his person, nor his proclamations had any effect on him whatsoever. He was not moved by it. There was no convincing him of it. And so to James, Jesus was simply his older, strange, oddly acting brother. At times there must have been tensions at home. I mean, Jesus would have been the absolute model brother, would he not? <laughs> Never put a foot wrong. Never said a wrong word. Never lost his temper. Perfect. And he was the older brother. And our Filipino friends down at the back there, especially the men, they know what it's like to be kuya, to be the older brother, and how that the rest of your siblings look up to you as kuya, the older brother. So that gives you some added responsibility in your behavior and how you live your life. And of course, looking up to Jesus, he was absolutely perfect, which you would think would be wonderful to look up to, but it must have been tough when you're not perfect. <clears throat> <clears throat> and not only that, he would have been a deep thinker. And not only that, he would have took prayer and reading the Torah very seriously indeed. I mean, he would have studied and studied and studied. And of course, working in the family business couldn't have been easy either with Jesus because, I mean, when you're perfect, there's no shortcuts. I mean, there's no cheating on the cheese. Sure, there's not. I mean, everything had to be done perfectly right and correct, and anything went out of that workshop that Jesus had to do with had to be absolutely spot on. No shortcuts, no skiving off work to fill around. And of course, we don't know what age Joseph died, but we do know that during Jesus' adult years, there's no mention of him at all. And, uh, and so probably he died probably sometimes whenever Jesus was a teenager. I think the last report of the fathers was at that incident when Jesus was 12 years old in the temple. And so after that, we don't know. And so we, we have to suppose that a large part of Jesus' adult life, uh, that he would have been, in a sense, the head of the home. He would have been the oldest brother and, and certainly the oldest son. And, and that takes a lot of responsibility for the, the other ones looking up to him, and many, no doubt, I'm sure he had to come in between them many times to sort out the rise they were having. And so this is the kind of family life that they were uh, living together. Now, 
in Mark chapter 3, if we can have a little look at this. Remembering that during all of this time they didn't believe who he was. Verse 20, it says, Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But note this, verse 21 of Mark 3. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Who do you suppose his own people were? His family. And what did they say? He's out of his mind. He's the fanatic. against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. Then his brothers and his mother and standing outside they sent to him calling him and a multitude was sitting around him and they said to him look your mother and your brothers are seeking outside seeking you and he answered them saying who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. And so there was times when there was resentment. Look at John chapter 7. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you're doing. Now if you think that they're being nice and polite here, they're actually being quite sarcastic. Facetious. Weren't being nice at all. Depart from here, Go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. And so they're judging his motivation here. 
And if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. So that tells you a little bit about what was going on in this particular family at that time. And it wasn't very pleasant for Jesus. When his own brothers were being facetious uh, and, and, and making cute remarks. And it tells us there the reason why they did that is because they did not believe in him. And then in Matthew chapter 13, Verse 53, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? When there did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And so that's the background. During all that 30 years, the tensions, the unbelief, the snide remarks, the criticism, thinking he's just a fanatic. Something's wrong with his head. That's the reality of what Jesus had to live with for 30 years. However, however, I'm glad to report that it didn't stay that way. A breakthrough came in Acts chapter 1. Look at this little verse here. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James. These all continued one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Ah, ah, something happened between Jesus' resurrection on his ascension, that six-week period, that 40-day period, something dramatic happened to James and his brothers. And the only conclusion that we can come to is that during that time, even though it's not recorded for us, but when Jesus was appearing to his disciples and various others, that somewhere during that 40-day period, will believe that he appeared to James. And for the first time 
And all of those years, and over three decades, suddenly he believed that Jesus was who he said he was. Did he appear to the other brothers? We don't know. I don't know 100% sure if he appeared to James, but we believe he did. Did James go to them? Did Jesus go to them also? The end result was, whatever happened, they believed after the resurrection. And here they are in that short period of 10 days between Jesus' ascension and the day of Pentecost. When they spent in that upper room, here are his brothers. You say, well, what about his sisters? doesn't mention them here. Does that mean they don't believe? Not necessarily. We know from other scriptures, for instance, that they were at Nazareth. Maybe by this time they had married. Maybe they had kids. Maybe they weren't at Jerusalem. Maybe they were back home at Nazareth. Or they might have been there. It might have been some of the other women. We don't know. But certainly the resurrection had a major dramatic impact on the lives of Jesus' brethren to the point where now, imagine after seeing all the miracles, hearing all the stories, and then all the rumors about his resurrection that was going around. What do you believe? They hadn't believed it up to that point, and suddenly, if it was the case that Jesus appeared to him, suddenly all that doubt, all that unbelief, was gone in an instant. And suddenly, they believed. What an encouragement for us to never stop praying for our loved ones. Even though they may be showing no interest whatsoever, even though they may not even recognize Jesus as the Son of God, even though they may be full of unbelief at this particular time and indifferent to the claims of Christ in their life. But we must never, ever give up on praying for them. Remember James. And Jesus must have prayed for James every day of his life and his brethren. It took 30 years. It took some convincing. But in the end, he believed and he became a great Christian and a great pillar in the early church. In fact, he rose up through the early church very quickly indeed. In fact, we'll see as we go through parts of this book how that a lot of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, it seems to be that Jesus, or James borrowed some of that, those ideas in his teaching also. He remembered some of the things that he heard. Suddenly it made sense to him now. My mother, I buried her when she was 98. And she had three brothers that I can just remember at the top of my head. She loved them dearly and prayed for them. One especially, his name just happened to be James, my uncle James. And he would have been the closest of all of her brothers to her. He would have been the closest. He would visit her the most regularly. And they were very close together. When they sit and talk, and you could see that, they enjoyed each other's company. And she prayed for him for years and years and years to become a believer, to find Christ. And then dementia set in later on in her life. And it got to the stage where she didn't even know she had a brother. It got to the stage where there's time she didn't even know I was her son. But whenever my Uncle James just a short time before he died, I led him to the Lord on his deathbed. 
he came to Christ. And I couldn't even tell my mother. We didn't even tell her he had died. Why would you? She was so confused. She wouldn't know who I was talking about at that time. So we didn't even tell her. But all those years when she was in her right mind, when she was compass mentis, all those years when she was praying, she never saw the fruit of that prayer. But the fruit came. After all those decades of prayer, the fruit came. And she came to saving faith in Christ. Or he came to saving faith in Christ, her brother James. I tell you that to encourage you today. We know that our family members has got a personal choice to make, a personal decision to make that we can't make for them. But we believe that God will give them every possible opportunity, every chance of mercy, if we continue to pray for them. Many a person has gone to the glory and didn't see their loved ones saved but their loved ones got saved after they died and went to the glory. James chapter 1 verse 1 that was a long introduction by the way wasn't it? <laughs> ben just in a few moments. James chapter 1 verse 1 says, James, a bondservant, a doulos of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. This is his opening statement for his letter to the church that was scattered abroad. Some have argued that this could not possibly be James that wrote this book. It's always been an argument who did actually write it. Because they say he never mentioned that he was the Lord's brother. No, he didn't. Never once did he mention that he was even related to Christ in the physical sense. Never mentioned his earthly relationship with Jesus here at all. Never even spoke of himself as being the leader of the church at Jerusalem. Never speaks of himself as having Mary and Joseph as his parents, which would have ended all questions regarding the authorship of this book. So some say, well, there you are. It probably wasn't James' brother that wrote it. But you see, knowing Jesus after the flesh was no longer important to James. It's knowing him after the Spirit. That's the important thing. You see, Jesus now was James's savior, not his sibling. He was his master, not his brother. Things have changed. Resurrection changed all that relationship. He's now not looking up to him just as big brother and older brother. He's looking up to him. He's the Lord of glory. He's the savior of the world. He's the master. He is the anointed one. He is the Christ. He is the son of God. And in fact, in his utter humility, he calls himself from that moment on a bond servant of God 
and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to get into this now, the technical thing about the Trinity, but you know, it's two are mentioned there, God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here also that James calls him Jesus. He calls him Lord and Christ. He's giving him his full title, the Lord Jesus Christ. Recognizing fully who he is. Recognizing now that he is a bond servant, a doulos, one that is completely given over to and governed by his master. He has no rights, he has no claims. He belongs completely and utterly to him. A doulos wasn't made a servant, he was born a servant. And as soon as James was born again, he'd be born again to become a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying. Peter and Paul and Barnabas and all of those called themselves a doulos, a true servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has no claims on their own life, only his claims. And so you see a dramatic change in this man's life, and that should be the change in our lives. When we recognize Christ, who he is, then we should be a doulos, a servant. With no rights or no claims in our life, except his claims and his rights. And we serve him, and only him, and for him. Almost finished. James is writing this letter, not only to the church at Jerusalem, of which he is, as it were, the senior pastor, He's writing to all those Jewish believers who are both in Israel and scattered abroad in the dispersion. Diaspora. The term the 12 tribes was often used in the New Testament to describe Israel as a nation. However, historically that nation was divided after Solomon's reign. And 10 of those tribes became, 10 northern tribes became, simply became known as Israel. And Judah and Benjamin, two smaller tribes in the south, became known as Judah. And of course, Judah in the south is where Jerusalem was. Then in 722 BC, the ten northern tribes were conquered by the Assyrians. And those who were not killed uh, were carted off, deported to Assyria. And those who were left or who perhaps escaped made their way down south into Judah and assimilated down south, and so we could say technically that all of the tribes were represented now in Judah. But later on, Judah was conquered itself in 586 BC by the Babylonians. And the temple was destroyed. And all the records of all the tribes that were kept there were also destroyed and were gone forever. So there's no record of their tribes. But God who knows the record. God who knows the record will give them all back their identity when Israel's fortunes are restored. God has not finished with Israel. I do not believe in replacement theology whatsoever. God has got a plan for Israel. We need to keep our eye on Israel, by the way. Things are difficult at this moment. Maybe your brother, you have, I'll ask him maybe if he'd give us a little update and report of what's happening 
the nation at this time. And so James is addressing all Jewish Christians, both in Israel, those who are scattered abroad. I remember that some would have left perhaps now on their own accord, maybe to trade or to do business. And many left because of persecution. It wasn't easy being a Jewish Christian at this time. Because you'd be persecuted for being a Jew by the Gentiles, and you're persecuted by the religious Jews for claiming Christ as Savior. So it wasn't easy for them. They were getting it from all sides. And even though this letter is Jewish in style and content, its frequencies to my brethren, for instance, but it's a very practical book, full of advices and admonitions. So therefore, it's applicable to the whole church then and now, not just to Jewish believers. So it's still relevant for us even now in the 21st century. And as we pick out some of it as we go through the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll see some of the great truths and the wisdom that James spoke of. Tradition says that James was martyred in about 62, 63 AD. Tradition says that Pharisees threw him from one of the pinnacles of the temple and then they beat him to death with clubs when he fell. And be that as it may, we know that he was martyred in around that time. Tradition also says that he was nicknamed Camel Knees because he prayed so much on his knees that his knees was all heavily calloused. He was such a man of prayer, they called him old Camel Knees. Tradition also says that he was called James the Just. He was a wonderful, godly man, a great leader of God's people, a man whom the church looked to for wisdom and guidance, particularly in those early days when the church was embryonic and it was forming and it was expanding at an alarming rate and all kinds of things were happening. And, and then when it came to the church reaching out to the Gentiles and what trouble that caused with the Jewish Christians because they thought it was the Jew, not only the Jew first, but the Jew first, last, and everything in between. But God had a bigger plan to reach the whole world. And so James writes this little book that's full of little pithy sayings and proverbs, as it were, little nuggets of wisdom to help them and to help us. Amen? So over the next couple of weeks, we'll dip in, dig in here and there, and see what we can see. Amen? Now listen, tonight... Last Sunday night, you may remember, I asked some questions that people who would be unbelievers, when they find out you're a believer, and you begin to try to engage them in spiritual things, that they would ask you some hard questions they would ask you. Well, I thought that tonight, that I would do some more of those tonight, uh, just to encourage you and to help you that in your conversations with people, because these things come up more and more and it's good if you have some kind of an answer to give not that we know everything but that you have some kind of an answer to give to make them think just to because often people just do that to try to stop you in your train where did Cain get his wife you know well I don't know you know, you know that's the end of conversation they laugh at you I'll not be dealing with that tonight by the way <laughs> but there is an answer to that that's, that's not a difficult one actually but it's it's an old one to throw at you isn't it alright so we'll We'll do something else tonight so that we can, we can get some answers. Amen?